Hello, I'm Mish Seabrook. I'm a psychotherapist with a specialist interest in supervision for those that help others in their professional role so that they remain resilient. In this podcast, I invite a variety of people to reflect on their personal journey with resilience and they share their top tips for maintaining their resiliency so it gives us a chance to learn from their experience. So grab a cuppa and let's go. Hello there listeners. How lovely that you've come once again to listen to another episode. And in this episode, I'll be introducing you to the legend that is Dave Pounds. Dave has been involved in some really interesting um, trials that use MDMA to address PTSD. So I'm watching the results of those with, with a curious eye. And for those of you who don't know who Dave is, he's a young man in his 50s. He loves nothing more than being with great people, playing sport, reading, DIY and following Leeds United. And he loves being with people who make him laugh, who stretch him, educate him, simply chew the fat over and put the world to rights. His life goals are to make himself the best person he can be, one day at a time. And perhaps on the way, guide one or two others to do the same. And you really hear in this conversation how generous Dave wants to be with helping others address their issues as he has been able to address his own. And he's got a gift that he wants to to share with the world in the future. And I hope to support him along the way. So this is Dave. Enjoy. Let's go. So, hello, Dave. Good morning, Mish. <laughs> how are you? I'm really well, actually. Thank you. You do know I'm going to actually ask you how how you really are, because that's <laughs> that's part of the the rules. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad to have you on here. Um, I'm glad I've got a brew, and yeah, here with you to to share the space. So, I'm delighted. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. As you know, um, resilience and related topics are mm-hmm. a big interest and passion of mine. So I've uh, put a bit of thought into it to to gather my thoughts and um, I think I'm ready. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so how are you really? How are you really? How's life for you at the minute? How's things going? I, I am actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um my biggest challenge at the moment is fitting everything in right. and giving time, enough time, to all the things I'm trying to do. Mm. But the, the great thing about that is everything I'm doing is really good fun, yeah. really, really interesting and sort of going towards exciting targets and goals that I've set for myself. So I think, I think this year is quite a pivotal year for me in terms of certainly in terms of career right and you know that means i'm kind of doing a job a job that i've always done mm-hmm. um to bring in some income mm-hmm. but i'm also working on you know new business idea new venture throw in sport and diy and various other things doing quite a bit of work with the media at the moment on mm-hmm. 
this medical trial, this MDMA psychotherapy combination trial I was on a couple of years ago, which I'm very passionate about, so I want to support that. Yeah. So it's just fitting it all in, really, mm. but I'm just about managing it most, <laughs> most of the time, not all of the time. Yeah, well, that's, that's, it's good enough, isn't it, if you can say, yeah, I'm generally keeping those plates spinning, then, yeah, that's good enough. So one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you to, to be a guest was, Obviously, I know you anyway, but I think you've got a really interesting take on resilience, and I certainly know it's been tested. So I thought you'd you'd be able to share some really useful insights and uh, you know get your story out there. So how t- talk me through how how would you say your journey with resilience has changed, grown? What tell me your story? Wow. Okay. Well, I'll try and do that in in a few minutes um and without going into too much too much detail yeah but you know uh, as you and i've talked about before you know that there was a significant tragedy or trauma within our family 40 odd years ago now Mm -hmm. when when i was 12 and my my mum um was murdered um in a million to one sort of situation probably several million to one yeah um but it was it was an event that kind of happened over several hours Mm. and um you know there but for the grace of god Mm -hmm. i think you know i'm still here and i i you know today's not the day to go into the into the horrific detail but um back in the 70s when it happened it was um a day off school uh, we moved out of the house in with a uh, family of friends of ours and we kind of got on with it um, mm. and I certainly didn't speak to my dad about it until I was 31 and having sort of landed on a journey of repeated what they call flashbacks or mm. PTSD flashbacks that I just didn't know how what to do with mm-hmm. I didn't have a clue and didn't talk to any about it and hadn't spoken to any about it really in all that time. Yeah. And it just got to the point where I said, Dad, I've got to sit down and talk to you. And I remember leaving the squash club where I'd had a game of squash. I, I couldn't concentrate on it. I was in the middle of this sort of anxiety attack. And I grabbed four cans of Stella, mm-hmm. went to my dad, sat down, <clears throat> and we sort of went through it together, which was which was a relief. Yeah. Um, but going back a bit further, the we you know I say we got on with it and life was life kind of got back to normal. Um, I think in hindsight I had if I changed I'd become a bit too much of a risk taker. Okay. Um, and then when I was eighteen I got this just walking in the street one evening uh, to see some mates. This what I now know is a panic attack that is was truly terrifying mm. like being buried alive um and i just ran and ran um met a couple of mates and started to calm down a bit and then after that they kept kept happening you know the anxiety attacks which were less intense than panic but still pretty awful mm-hmm. to the point where you can't sleep you can't eat 
the adrenaline is so strong you're throwing up in the toilet and to engage in anything sensibly like you know work or sport is is pretty much impossible yeah so i went to the doctors and i was there three times in a week and i was sort of hoping he would just press a magic button and all would be sorted but he he didn't do that i mean and i now know the nhs um even today doesn't have a toolkit that's very effective mm. so i think he was getting a bit pissed off with me am i allowed to say that <laughs> because he can yeah um when i made my third visit in five or six days mm. and he told me that what i was going to have to do was pull myself together i sat there and i thought if only i thought of that oh, so easy genius <laughs> But actually, I, I suspect there are one or two in the medical world today who probably haven't got much more advice than that to mm-hmm. offer. So anyway, that, that really started a several decade search into what, what, what was happening to me mm-hmm. and how could I stop it happening? How could I manage it or get rid of it completely? So, you know, I now know I'm classified as having PTSD, if that's labels of any use. Mm -hmm. Um, But more importantly, I think, you know, I've got to a point now where I wouldn't say I was cured, but I think sat here today, I would say I'm as strong and resilient as I've ever been Mm -hmm. without being able to be classified as off the PTSD scale. Okay. And, you know... It's it's been a bumpy ride, um, and <clears throat> I do kind of remember you <laughs> helping me in a, a moment of crisis several years ago. Mm-hmm. So could that happen again? Probably. Um, yeah. Will it happen again? Don't know. Um, but I'm pretty pretty good with where I am at the moment. Mm. I'm excited about the future and what that is looking like. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to continue searching for more things and more answers. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work then. I've done a lot of work. I, as part of preparing for this new venture. Um, Do you want to say anything about that? Is that anything you can share? You don't have to. Well, well, in essence, I want to use my experiences of kind of surviving um, the PTSD mm-hmm. and all the there's been some pretty dark times um and all the challenges i want i want to use my experience of of what it's taken for me to survive and be sat here today Mm. saying i feel pretty good and distill that into really a program Mm -hmm. of things that I, i want to use to kind of inspire challenge and guide people to be as remarkable as they can or have as remarkable lives as they can and and the, the great thing i think is what i've what i've got i think is relevant to everybody mm-hmm. not just people who have had some kind of trauma yeah which I agree. Which, which by the way if, if you're familiar with the adverse childhood adversity um adverse childhood events Adverse childhood events. I'm glad or you're experiences. here. Experiences. Yeah. yeah. We'll get there in the end. But <laughs> Between us, we'll get there. That's why it's easier to call it the ACE study. The, yeah. It's been corroborated thousands of times. Yeah. And that there is act- some controversy with, with, with some of the crude use of ACEs, but I think a more 
sophisticated use can can be really useful for some people. Yeah, but I guess what what it does show is almost half of us arrive at adulthood having experienced mm-hmm. one or more yeah. traumatic events. So, so I think what I've got is relevant for everybody, not just those who have had some kind of trauma, mm. but the people who have had trauma is a large number. Yeah, and it's and I think it's it will be such a gift for you to be able to um, share n- not only your um, experiences, but your learning, all the work you've done over these years to share that with others. What a gift that will be to the community, to, to people. I, I hope so, and I, and I genuinely think so. And you... you um... You just caught me off guard there because I, I was about to say over the decades, mm-hmm. I, when I was preparing for this uh, a few months ago, what I was about to say a few minutes ago is that I did some kind of thinking about the hours I've spent mm. reading and researching, oh, yeah. the miles I've travelled, yeah. the number of therapies and therapists I've tried. Mm-hmm. And number of therapists and therapists is over 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all the books and the medical articles and research articles um, and money spent as well, not that I'm particularly bothered about that because um, we've still been able to put food on the table, but it's it's a huge, they're huge numbers. Huge. And, and along the way, there, there have been, um, you know, we may come onto them here. I'm sure we will. 12 items about resilience yeah but there's been some absolute tosh as well you know <laughs> if i th- love that i love that you're like oh i'm just gonna we need to recognize that there's some, but that, some rubbish out there that's as well. the thing michelle the, the work is really going through all of these things and sorting the wheat for the chaff mm. and of course what works for me might be slightly different that works for you of and course. somebody else yeah yeah but i think there is i think there's some some powerful stuff in this this new program that mm. I'm developing. Yeah, and that'd be brilliant. It'd be brilliant to to watch that grow and um, yeah, support you in that. It'd be, be fantastic. And, so, and I think I think sorry to no interrupt. Problem. the The reason you caught caught me a moment ago was was I I think if I can spend ten, fifteen, twenty years, you know, sharing that with other people mm-hmm. and hopefully changing some lives. Then that would be a great, um, great way for me to put some good back into society off the back of a terrible event, yes. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I completely understand that. So, it, talk me through how how you've um, arrived at knowing what works for you. What what sort of things have you had to? You talked about you've been to a lot of therapies and therapists and reading and how have you distilled that down into knowing what works? Well, as I said before, I think it, it's going through and researching, you know, therapy after therapy after therapy mm-hmm. and, and working out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And if you put all of those things together, each individual one might not be the answer but as an aggregate mm. um, together they're obviously more powerful I, I can't you know if, if we took these 12 yeah and, and we weighted them mm-hmm. I'd be kind of guessing at their weighting 
but I do feel that they all make a difference. Mm. And it's been, it, it has literally been trial and error through decades. And I think, I think it feels like I, I've got, I've arrived at understanding more of them in the last few years. Yeah. But actually, I think what I've also recognised is the things that have, have always been in place that have made the, the big difference. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, being physically fit is, luckily, I love sport, mm-hmm. so the two kind of go together. But being physically fit um, and being out in, in nature a lot makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And is that something you've always done throughout, throughout your life? Yeah, it's something I've always done. I've always, you know, played lots of sport and been mm. outside a lot. And that's what we did as kids. It was the, yeah. the, really the classic get up, have your breakfast and then go outside and come back at tea time. Yeah. That is, was exact. And we rode around on our bikes and jumping in canals and rivers and <laughs> garden creeping and cricket, <laughs> cricket and football and squash, you know, yeah. it was golf. It was, that, that was it. It was great. Mm. Life was idyllic mm. really before, before mum, uh, before the incident with mum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's been really important. And that's one of my 12. <laughs> I think the other thing that's always been present in my life, which I'm really grateful for, is just, you know, having great people mm. around me. You know, and I feel really fortunate and grateful mm. for that. And I think um, in the job I've done, you know, as a kind of freelance project manager, mm-hmm. every couple of years you move around, so you, you're always being introduced to new people. I think sport and team sport in particular means you're always being introduced to new people. Then you've got your friends from school and the friends in your community. Mm. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to have some really great people around. Yeah. And, and I say I work hard on that. It sounds like I'm, I'm, so I'm sort of... It's not like I'm using people, but I pick and choose mm-hmm. who I spend time with. Yeah. And if I've got into situations, whether it be at work or, you know, domestically, where you meet somebody who's really negative and toxic, I just take myself away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a way, you describe being really fortunate that you've um, got this network of people around you, but... Actually, I think you you create that as well by by seeking out those that will help you replenish as much as you you give to them, they give to you. There seems to so you, there is a degree of luck with who you come across, but I think also you're quite quite good at um, making the connections that that you want to make with people. So yeah, I, I guess it is a two way thing, mm. and um, you know it, it's. When I say that, it's not all about empathy. Yes. I think empathy and having, you know, supporting people who are able to support you is really important. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's about being with people who make you laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And people who you can have a great conversation with, whether it's a, a deep conversation or something more educational mm-hmm. um, or somebody who inspires you and stimulates you and encourages you to go and take this idea and yeah. turn it into something real you know it's, it's those kind of 
interactions mm. that I really enjoy. Mm. Yeah, and so that's really helped you. Uh, is that something that's a recent thing, or is that over the years that that's developed? Was it? I suppose I'm, I suppose what I'm asking is, is that a conscious thing that you've been doing, or is it? Is it just that you're more conscious of it now? Now you've done so much work on yourself. No, that's a great question. I think the answer is I'm more conscious of it now. <clears throat> Therefore, I'm more deliberate about right. keeping it going now. Yeah. And so I'm more likely to say, pulling out of that, I'm pulling out of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get more engaged here, here and here. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I try, this is going to sound really pompous. but Say it anyway. <laughs> I, I try to avoid getting hooked into Netflix. Mm-hmm. I try and avoid getting hooked into social media. And I try and just occasionally sit down and say, who can I have coffee with next week? Or yeah. who can I go for a pint with? Um, and even if it's just a 20-minute walk with my dad, mm-hmm. I don't want three weeks to go past without seeing him. It would be easy to do that when mm-hmm. you're so busy. But you've got to stop and say, I'm going to do this, this and this. And I think engaging with people, especially in the ways we've been talking about, yeah. is vital. Yeah. I think your human psyche is built to be with other people mm-hmm. we are social beings yeah and i think that's probably one of the things that a lot of people have found challenging with the lockdowns that we've had um over the last however long feels like forever so having all those mm-hmm. lockdowns and that isolation i think has been really hard i think that's why people try to create the the zoom things and the doing what they could to just connect with someone we, we we strive for connection we are, we are social we i completely agree we are and lockdown highlighted the need to be with people mm. and the need to exercise and be in nature it was mm-hmm. like a gift wasn't it absolutely my 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 30 minutes exercise this week you know can't <laughs> wait and i noticed it even more when two of my kids within a month had covid so we had two lots of 14 days not leaving the drive uh, yeah but going back to, you know, I, I truly believe it's built into our psyche to be with other people. Mm. Um, you know, loneliness is a terrible thing and mm. a common thing these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like it's the body's way of saying, get out and be with some people. Yeah. And when I say be with some people, you can be in a room full of people every day, but still be lonely because mm. you haven't got that quality yeah. of interaction. Yeah, so that's the important thing, isn't it? It's about... The quality of connection, not the quantity of how many people you're, you're going to see over yeah, the week. Yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it could be one or two. Mm-hmm. It could be six or seven. But I think I've got a part of the new programme. I've got a bit of a, a statement in there that sort of challenges people thinking. You know, I think we live in a world where technology connects us more than ever before. Mm-hmm. But I think we're also in a world where as a people we're probably more disconnected than ever before. Mm, Controversial. Um, Can you explain what what you mean by that? Well, it's it's okay spending hours a day on social media, liking this and checking if somebody's liked you and having a bit of a nose around. And, you know, even even the the Skype calls and the Zoom calls, they're kind of okay, but they're not the same Mm. as you and I sitting here together across Mm -hmm. this breakfast bar. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's just not the same. Mm. And and what we're doing is doing something really interesting. We're not just posting pictures, 
so people can think we've got a great life yeah. or you know looking at other people's pictures which isn't particularly in my world stimulating don't get me wrong and I don't want to sound pompous again I'm on social media mm. and I find it really interesting at times but I don't want to allocate very much time to it yes yeah I think that's the trick isn't it how much um, importance you put on it if you put the importance of how many people have viewed my post over whether I'm going to have a quality interaction, you might need to have a look at that. I think. Yeah, so, so I don't, I don't think that kind of flicking messages and likes is a quality interaction mm-hmm. and a real connection. A real connection is you and I having this chat or yeah. going for a coffee mm-hmm. or put the world to rights. I had a mate of mine who lives down south, came up this weekend and on Saturday we had a chat. We bumped into somebody at Kibworth Cricket Club who is a psychologist who right. I don't really know. We kind of collared her as she came off the pitch and <laughs> she was stuck with us for an hour before we said, actually, do you want a drink? <laughs> um, but the conversation was fantastic. Yeah. Um, really yeah. interesting. And then the guy came up back up on Sunday and sat in my garden. We did it all again. Lovely. And that was, you just leave those conversations feeling uplifted. Mm, yeah, really replenishing. So that's what I mean by connectedness. Yeah. So how do you, when when you're thinking about your overall well-being, because you said you're in a place of, of wellness at the moment, you feel like reasonably all right. So how would you know that things are not feeling all right? How, would it be something that, that you would identify? Would it be other people? So I suppose what I'm asking is about accountability. How do you know... How do you know what you need? Um, what are the signs that you that you wobbling? Um, well, what I try and avoid to do, avoid doing is getting too tired. Mm. That's that's not good. Um, what I also try and avoid is having two or three big social nights in a row. That just lays a fertile ground for mm-hmm. seeds of doubt and seeds of you know catastrophizing thinking yeah um and i think the other thing i try and avoid is doing things that i've got no interest in and have no sense of purpose or meaning mm-hmm. um because then you don't want to get out of bed and if you're tired and if you're hung over yeah and you getting out of bed to do something you don't want to do that's dangerous for me mm. so are they so they're the things that you recognize in yourself are there are there things that other people would recognise and and kind of point them out to you and then you have to think about it or is it all about how you what you recognise? Yeah, I, I, I think there are. I think the biggest one I can think of is, you know, when I've, when I've had a wobble, mm. some of those have been quite <laughs> dramatic, as in he's in hospital again. Mm. Um, my eldest lad, Sam... Um, always reckons when I've got time and nothing to do, um, that's a dangerous time. Okay. And I, I think that's I think there's some truth in that. Uh, if you add in I've got myself unfit mm. uh, to that. Um, and and I've you know when I say I've got nothing to do, I've got nothing to do in terms of something I'm really looking forward to, then mm-hmm. that's probably a dangerous combination. Yeah. Yeah, that's so an interesting I, insight, isn't it? To say you, you need to be 
um, doing something. You need to have a sense of purpose. Yeah, and I so I think, and these are things on the list. We're ticking them off, Michelle. Oh, we are go. we? But I think it's nice that we're ticking them off as we go along. <laughs> that as we usually explore. happens. But the to 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 highlight those, I think purpose and meaning absolutely are crucial. Yeah. And I think have, for me, having a structure today is crucial. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, to two, be honest. Two more things on that. Purpose and meaning. Not only if you're doing something and you genuinely understand the purpose mm. and you can see the meaning in it, and I think they are slightly different, mm-hmm. then you're doing two things, I think. You're, you're, fee- you're getting fulfilment yourself mm-hmm. for doing something useful and meaningful but you're also probably having an impact on somebody else mm-hmm. um so you're adding value to somebody else so they're feeling better yeah. and the fact that they're feeling better means you're feeling better mm-hmm. and the whole thing is you know um kind of a positive circular two-way feedback yeah. in a way yeah and i think the structure for me is it and it you may have heard this before, and I probably picked it up from a TED talk somewhere. I, I can't remember. But whatever I feel in the morning, um, my routine is get out of bed, make the bed, shave, clean my teeth, come downstairs, get everything nice and tidy, sit down, do a to-do list, have a coffee, and then I'm ready for the day. Nice. And that just gets me going. Yeah. And I can change how I feel in those yeah. 10, 20 minutes or half an hour, depending what state the kids have left the kitchen in the night before. <laughs> My mindset can change yeah. quite dramatically. The value of a, of a morning routine that helps you do that is, well, it, it, it is the most valuable thing, having a morning routine. For, you know, I agree. Personally, I would say that, that that is one thing that just sets you up, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, I like that one. But let's come on to your... Well, obviously, I asked you for a top five. <laughs> and would you like to explain <laughs> what you've got? <laughs> because it's slightly more than top five, but it's your list. So I'm like, let's, let's go with it. It, it is. Uh, I, I'd like to start, I think, by... When we talk about resilience, mm-hmm. um, if we wind back a little bit and sort of start with, so why do we need resilience? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, unless, I guess for almost everybody, you need resilience to protect yourself from unpleasant emotions. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So fear, loneliness, shame, you know, guilt, that type of thing. Those those feelings are generally unpleasant. Mm. Now, life is always going to throw slings and arrows at us. So to me, resilience is building your ability not just to bounce back, but not to be hurt by them in the first place. Or instead of being hurt on a scale of 8 out of 10, Mm -hmm. let it pinch you at 2 out of 10. So over time, if the same thing happens and starts as an 8, finishes up having an impact of a 4, you've built your resilience in, in that way. Yeah. So I think that's what I think resilience is. Mm-hmm. And almost bizarrely, um, the experience of having to face adversity um, 
allows you to build your resilience. So without, so it's a te- whilst, it, whilst it's unpleasant, it is a great teacher mm. if you can find a way through it yeah. and to survive. Yeah. You know, and you do that through, you know, learning a number of disciplines and ways to think. You do that through having conversations, intimate conversations with people, mm. you know, who support you. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought that was worth reflecting yeah absolutely yeah i like that because you're quite right unless your resilience gets tested it won't get tested (laughs) so it needs in order for you to see how resilient you are you do need that test which which isn't great (laughs) no and we're all going to be tested at some point of course yeah of course so you know, we've talked about purpose and meaning and exercise and being with the right people. Um, I think a key one for me is when you, when you work out Mm. what it is that triggers you to get into a bit of a a high anxiety state, um, what you, what you do is you start avoiding those situations. And what that does is it kind of reinforces the fear really absolutely because avoiding them protects you mm-hmm. so your brain is kind of saying well, we better avoid that mm-hmm. and make him even more scared of doing it so he doesn't do it and get mm. into that state but actually um the opposite is is what we should be doing mm-hmm. we have to find a way of facing our fears and it's not necessarily easy but it is absolutely doable and this isn't an academic view. This is my experience of facing several fears um, that I'm now not bothered about. Mm. So one example would be flying. I remember going on a skiing holiday once and we'd all been out the night before and had too much to drink. And I was being picked up at 6.30. I was about 20 at the time. And um, the car came at 6.30, bit groggy in the morning. It was dark outside and I just thought, I can't go. Yeah. I had this panic about being trapped abroad. I, I've been abroad loads of times, so I didn't know where it had come from. Mm. And then I tried to go abroad later on that year in the summer and just had to stop the day before. I said, I can't go. Mm. I cannot go. And people thought it was because I was scared of flying. It wasn't that, but it was just easier to peddle that as a story. Mm. Um, and I'm pretty claustrophobic anyway, so being cooped up in, the more I thought about it, being cooped up in an aeroplane was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> anyway, long story short, you were chatting about EMDR earlier. I went to see a chap in Shropshire who's one of the leading EMDR experts mm-hmm. um, in the UK, and he he got me back on a plane, and then in the next 12 months, I, I was more, more on a plane than I was on the ground. <laughs> So, um, but that was, that was, we had a very structured, staged approach to that. Yeah. For example, I'll just go, go through this quickly. I'm sat in his office. We've done some forward, oh, I can't remember what he called it, flash forward with EMDR, you know, imagining this whole scenario. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, okay, I'm going to give it a go. I've got a stag do coming up in Edinburgh. I'll get on the plane there. So I've got, the plane was a propeller plane. So I thought, well, that's not a great start. <laughs> But I was, I was with my best mate, Jim. So I said to Derek, the EMDR guy, I said, OK, so we'll do that then. 
we'd, we'd got ourselves prepared. I said, what I'll do, Derek, because I'll just have a couple of pints before. And he said, we well, could do, mm. but it'll probably make the message to your brain less effective. I said, oh, right, right, OK. OK, I won't have a beer before I get on the plane, but we'll just put something in the bag, a bottle of something, just in case. He said, well, you could do that, Dave, but it would be more effective in terms of your brain learning and retaining it if you don't. Yeah. So in the end, um, we went, I went for a run in the morning, then we went to the airport, we had a coffee, got on the plane, I did some EMDR, and it was fine. Mm, Couldn't believe it. Got off the plane at the other end, and the pilot got on the bus at Edinburgh Airport, went back to the terminal with me, and I thought, he looks about 12. I'm (laughs) I'm glad I didn't see that before. (laughs) And there have been other examples, several other examples, of that type of approach moving from avoidance for 20 odd years Mm. to loving it Mm. the point is the brain is plastic it can change Mm -hmm. but sometimes you've got to have a bit of a plan yeah and go through the process to effect that change yeah yeah so i think the other thing i think is really important is compassion okay and the reason i say that is Referring to this trial I was on with psychotherapy and MDMA, um, I'd never taken MDMA before. And when you take it in a hospital setting with two therapists, um, you know, nice warm lighting, mm. um, with you know some pleasant background music, it's it's a lovely setting. And the MDMA got me to a stage where I was absolutely lucid focus switched on Mm. nothing like drinking alcohol but all the fear kind of disappeared and when the fear has disappeared um you just kind of love everything and i know they call it the love drug but i get that now (laughs) but in that state there is no there's 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 just what i say there's no fear Mm. but um, so there's no conflict, there's, there wouldn't be any wars, mm. I guarantee, if everybody was in an MDMA mindset. Um, so, so I guess what that teaches you is in that state, everything's okay, and yeah. you can see the beauty and the value and all things positive in pretty much everything, mm. whether it's people or nature or certain situations. So I guess if you can if you can foster that mindset once the MDMA's disappeared, that leaves you in a better position to be um, more understanding of people, mm-hmm. um, to be more understanding of yourself and more compassionate to yourself. Yeah. And and that's that's something that I think is worth spending ten minutes a day sitting down and thinking. Yeah, I'm, um, you know, feeling compassion for your friends, your family, um, yourself. Mm. But then it gets a bit harder and the exercise sort of takes you through feeling compassion with somebody you don't really know. Mm. um, But you don't sort of class them as a friend and you don't class them as an enemy. And then you kind of finish off, I think, by really trying to feel compassion for somebody that you would say you really didn't like. 
Oh, well, that's a challenge. <laughs> it, it absolutely is a challenge, but but like everything, um, it's something that I believe can be learned. Mm. And there's quite a bit of research actually um, on that topic that shows you can make quite profound shifts in your um, in your thinking. And of course, if if you are more accepting and more understanding and more loving of more things, mm. you're going to get less engaged in you know negative, unpleasant thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important, but can be, you know, a challenge at times. I think that the last thing I've mentioned is um, this internal dialogue mm. that we have. So I, I, I always, I think it's worth giving your inner voice a name and building a relationship with your inner voice. <laughs> What's uh, yours called? Well, my, I call mine Dave. Yeah. And I am called Dave. Indeed. But it's, it might be best to, to give it another name, I don't know. So I, I quite often say, oh, stop it, Dave. Just as I'm about to follow a train mm-hmm. of thought that's going to leave me in a worse place, I just say, stop it, Dave. I've done that a hundred oh, times. Oh, I really like no that. No need to do that. Yeah. Um, There's so something I, about making it feel a bit more real and separate and something that you can influence then rather than something that's just happening to you. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so, so that would be one instance. Yeah. And another instance might be in a calmer environment with a cup of coffee sitting down and just having a conversation with mm-hmm. that inner voice saying, look, I know you're trying to look after me and warn me about this and warn me about that. Yeah. But, but seriously, you know, the danger's gone. It's OK. Mm. Why don't we focus on this? I'll focus on that. But I think um, that inner voice often leads us to one judge other people mm-hmm. and I think I think sometimes the reason we do that is we might look at somebody who's really good at something or they're really attractive or they're super fit or um, and we might sort of say something like, well, you may be good looking or you may have this job or mm. this house, but, you know, your marriage is a mess or your, your kids are rude. Mm. And what are we trying to achieve by that? Yeah. I think we're trying to sort of say well, they're not okay, so therefore I'm okay because mm-hmm. I'm a little bit better at some areas than them. And actually, it's just an absolutely pointless thing to do. So if I want to judge myself as, I mean, I got, am I a good footballer or not? Well, I might be compared with that cup, <laughs> compared with Lionel Messi. You know, <laughs> I'm not even getting in the same country, let alone the same dressing room. So you're always going to find, if you're comparing, somebody that's going to make that's going to appear better and therefore make you feel worse yeah so don't don't do it Mm -hmm. the only thing that's important i think is saying well i want to do something this is my goal Mm. and i might get knocked over a few times but i'm going to get up and i think i'm going to try and get better at that thing yeah just me it's just me on my own i'm going to get better i might ask other people for help in changing my strategy or trying different tactic but the only thing I'm doing is me trying to get better at that thing Mm. and that thing might be one on a list of 10,000 things yeah 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 I love that and again it's difficult because it's easy to get into judgmental mode but when you're comparing yourself against others um well no good will come of it no I don't think so Mm. So, there you have it. So, that's quite a comprehensive 
review of, of resilience, really. So what would you, if you could just capture the six, <laughs> the six that you have, what would, what, how would you sort of capture it all? Yeah, in, in, in a list of bullets, compassion, mm-hmm. stop comparing, yeah. exercise in nature, mm-hmm. face your fears, be with the right people, build mm-hmm. your own team, that is, and then finally have, within a structure, have purpose and meaning. Yeah, I love that. To what you do. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really good. <laughs> they're really good. I can hear how much work you've done I know how much work you've done on yourself but I can hear it and I can uh, I think to try and distill it all down into this conversation is has been a challenge you know you and I could (laughs) you and I could talk for hours about this maybe we need to do a part two day part two yeah we'll we'll have a look at that particularly when you're further on in your, your new venture we can certainly do a part two but for now thank you so much for allowing me into your world of resilience and and yeah thanks for sharing so much of your your knowledge and your experience well thanks for saying that but i i genuinely want to thank you as well because in my experience and certainly when i was at my lowest at the priory what kept me going more than anything was hearing other people's stories Mm. so I think the fact that you're you've built this platform to share different stories from different people different walks of life with different experiences and different views on their top five is enlightening and probably really helpful I hope so yeah I hope so that's the aim that's the aim is that it helps Mm. one person yeah thanks mate all right I'm gonna turn this off so that was the wonderful Dave Pounds and I hope you'll all agree he has a lot to give to the world as soon as I know of Dave's new ventures I will let you all know but if you're interested in who I am and what I do and all things resilience and supervision based then take a look at my website, michellesebrook.co.uk. Thanks for coming along and listening once again. And I hope you'll be back to listen to the next one. So try and take it easy, look after yourselves and see you soon.